Good morning. And happy Father's Day. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come and worship. Lord, thank you for being the perfect father for us. Lord, thank you for caring for us and for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, we find ourselves lacking, unworthy to to even call ourselves your children. We find ourselves lacking to be fathers. And Lord, I just pray that as we look at your example, that we could be challenged to be men and to be fathers that you want us to be. Lord, I pray that you would bless the service here this morning. Pray that as we read from your word that we could be encouraged and that um, we could grow wherever you've placed us, Lord, if we are fathers or if we're just men serving in leadership positions, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, may we apply these truths to our lives. Lord, I pray for the service up in Elkhart. Be with the one who preaches there. Lord, I pray a blessing on their group and their meeting there. May you be honored and glorified through their time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What to you makes a real father? Or maybe a question for you men. When you look at other fathers, what to you constitutes a successful father? What does that look like? Or maybe as you recall your growing up years, what are the things that you recall that your father did for you that were meaningful, and I'm not referring to the, sometimes just the, the warm, fuzzy feelings we get, or the emotions of maybe a certain thing that we did together, but what made an impact on your life that helped shape the person who you are today, that made a difference in your life? The story is told of a young man who stood for, before a judge to be sentenced for forgery. And this judge had known this young man's father as a personal friend. And this man, the father of this young man, had spent years writing books on the law of trust. And interestingly enough, his son stood before the judge to be sentenced for forgery. The judge looked at the young man and he said, young man, do you remember your father? The father that you so disgraced? Oh yes, young man said, I remember him perfectly. I remember when I went to ask him for advice or to play ball with me, my father would say, run along, young man, I have work to do. You see, I think he finished his book now, said the young man, 
but here I am standing before you. See, that father missed a valuable opportunity with his son. I preach this message as a father that's failed. And so, I preach this message wanting to learn, and I trust that you can learn from it also. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning to read in verse 25. And for the ushers, if you could have mics ready, I'll have, uh, throughout the message, I'll maybe have certain ones read some of these scriptures. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning to read... In verse 25, husbands and wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Now let's skip over to chapter 6, beginning to read in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There are two things I want to specifically look at, and the first one was found in, the, in chapter 5 where it talks about men loving your wives. The second one is in verse 4 of chapter 6, bringing our children up in the, nurture, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Who do you like to take advice from? Who do you like to take advice from when you're trying to learn about something, be it your occupation or you're trying to do a project? You know, often I look for somebody that is accomplished in that area. So whatever it is, they've mastered that. I see them doing well in that. Something else that I look for is somebody who has the heart of a teacher. So not only are they doing well in, at a certain thing, but they're going to also be able to tell me how they did it and how I can get there. The third thing is, I like to ask somebody who's passionate about that certain thing. So they don't just, it's not something that they just haphazardly happen to do, but I can see that they were intentional at a conference whatever it is. When I began my business some 20 years ago, I knew how to mow grass, but I didn't know how to run a lawn care company. And I knew at least two people who had lawn care companies. One was a friend in, in Kokomo who was uh, running a business and was successful at it. 
The other person was a, um, actually a cousin of my father's who ran a lawn care company. And when I looked at those, the two different pictures, um, I saw one company that, had been, that was successful. The other, um, the company, they, they, had, they had bought some nice trucks. Uh, they had things looked good, but when you talked to him, he said, oh, it's, it's a terrible business to get into. It's so cutthroat. Everybody just, they, they cut your prices. You can't make any money at it. And he said, it's so hard to be competitive. And he lasted for several years, and he folded up. That's not the person I wanted to get advice from. And so I contacted my friend in Kokomo and, and arranged actually to ride with him for a day and just ask him, how do, you, how do you do business? How do you cut grass and make a living? He's still mowing today. The other man is not. He's tried several different things. You see, we like to get advice from somebody who is successful in their field. We like to ask questions to people who, who know what they're talking about are living out certain principles and, and what they're doing is working. I want to learn from them. You see, fathers, it's hard to teach our children principles when we ourselves haven't mastered them. It's hard to teach them to be something when I'm not that person. It's hard to pass on values and to point to Scripture and say, this is what you should do or this is how you should live your life. But I'm not an example of it. How do I become that type of person that can influence my children? The title of the message is Purpose Driven Fathers. And I want to look at three different ways that we as fathers can influence our children specifically. Now, I understand as fathers we, we influence, um, well, I guess, Fathers, specifically, we influence our families, right? But as men, as leaders, we influence people outside of our family. But this morning, I want to look specifically at our children and how we influence them in three specific ways that we do that. You know, I remember growing up in some of my preteen years, I made some less than desirable choices in my life. There were some things that I did that I regret, and I still live with those consequences today. And yet, even through those, probably some of the toughest years of my life, I felt an openness, or I felt free to talk with my father about those. And he was able to guide me and help me to walk through those times. And they were tough times. They weren't easy. And sometimes we didn't know how to handle them. But I had confidence in him. 
The first one is spiritual influence. And I'm asking you as fathers, who do your children, who do my children see as the overall authority in my life? When they look at my life, who do they see as the overall authority? Could I have one of you fathers? I'm going to ask for several um, volunteers to read some scriptures. The first one is Proverbs 14, verses 26 and 27. If one of you fathers could raise your hand and I'll have them bring a mic to you so you can read that. I didn't put them up front, so if you could help me out. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27, Vanson. Uh, the second one is Proverbs 19, 18. Brian? And then 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Arlen. So who do my children see as the overall authority in my life? Who do your children, when they look at your life, who do they say that dad answers to this person? Dad is in subjection to this person. Vance, you want to go ahead and read Proverbs 14. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. You know, there's something about trusting in something bigger than ourselves. Being under the authority of a perfect father, a father who's made no mistakes. And as our children see that, they're able to trust us as fathers who make mistakes because they see us following a father who is perfect, a father who doesn't make mistakes, a father who's in control of all things. And that, fathers, brings a, a trust from our children when they see us following a perfect father, trying to be an example of that perfect father to them. Second thing, what do my children say are my priorities? What is it that my children say, this is valuable to dad. This is what dad cares about. This is dad's passion. What is important to dad? Outside of that, some of you find yourself as fathers. You also find yourselves as grandpas. So what do your children and your children say are important to grandpa? What does he value? What is he passionate about? And you see, the things that we live for, the things that we do, are noticed by our children. The things that we make time for, the things that we sacrifice for, are noticed by our children. You see, our children notice when we make time for Saturday morning prayer meetings or men's meetings, and we're there. And I appreciate you men who faithfully come to men's meetings and prayer meetings. But our children are taking note what's important to dad. Our children realize what our passions are. We don't have to tell them. They understand and know by the way that we live, live our lives. 
Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I want to read a portion of Scripture there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So to set the, the tone here, this is, this is God talking to Israel. This is, this is his heart's cry. He's worried that as they leave Egypt and as they, they start following, as, as he gives them these Ten Commandments, he's worried that they're going to lose their focus on these commandments. He's, he's worried that they're going to get, get, their passions are going to change from maybe what they are currently. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning to read in verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statues and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land, whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel... And observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. And so he's saying, you know, I, I want you to do well. I want you to be successful. But then he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And so now he's giving them instruction how they're supposed to live. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates." So he tells them what to do with these. Not only are they supposed to follow them, they're supposed to pass this on to the next generation. They're supposed to live it. They're supposed to, it's supposed to be like written on the doorposts of their house that as their children, as people come in, they can observe it. It's evident. Like it's supposed to be a part of who they are. Verse 10, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. And so he's saying, this is my concern. I give you these things, you leave Egypt, and you come, and now times are good. The houses are full. The houses are good. The storehouses are full. The wells are, are flowing. Everything's going well. And then he says, Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Well, he's saying, what I'm concerned about is that I give, you, I give you these instructions and I bring you out of Egypt and, and you, you begin to teach your children. And it's, and it's easy to point back and say, well, when we were in Egypt, we had it tough, children. We had it tough, and we're so grateful for what God has given us, and we want to follow him. But as time goes on, we, for, we begin to forget what happened back in Egypt. We begin to forget where we came from. And now suddenly, the storehouses are full. The houses are built. 
The wells are flowing. Business is going good. And we're enjoying life. And suddenly, beware because you forgot where you came from. And I wonder sometimes if we're in that verse 12. Storehouses are full. We live in a land of plenty. We don't really need or want anything. There's plenty of pleasure to be had. There are plenty of things to do. And we kind of, we forget where we were, where we came from. And we forget what God called us out of. We forget what we've been saved from. And when we forget that, it's hard to do what we've been called to do as fathers and as leaders is to teach the next generation. Because I've lost that passion. It's not, it's not the, what happened in Egypt, how we were oppressed and how we were in bondage isn't fresh on my mind anymore. You see, when I came out of that, it's, it's fresh on my mind and I'm so thankful and I, and I want to teach my children to be faithful and I want them to be... Um, I want them to experience what I had coming out of Egypt. And I want them to, to learn and to grow and, and to, to follow God's commands. But when I forget where I came from and life becomes at ease, it's hard to be sharp and alert and teaching, passing on what I have been given What do children say, what would my children say are my priorities? Teach your children. Teach your children. Don't forget what God has done for you. Point back to what God has done. Remind them what God has done in your current life or where you've, where you've come from. Are there things in my life that caused me to forget where I came from, what God did for me. Am I being pulled away? Have I lost that satisfaction of being delivered from bondage, being delivered from Egypt? Am I being, becoming accustomed to the life that I now have? Spiritual influence. The second one is character influence. You know, I recall a story growing up, and my children often ask me for stories, and I tell, my, I tell Glendora, I said, I, you know, I do not remember a lot. I don't know why, but I just do not remember a lot of stories. But I remember a, a specific story, and, and you, know, you know what happens as, uh, for you who are farmers. When you plant a field... Um, often the outside row of that field is up against a fence row or it's up against another property and often the planter is kind of going back and forth and so it gets kind of close to the lawn or to the, the trees and then back out. And so that, that first row often doesn't get the fertilizer, it doesn't get the spray, and so it's growing up in weeds. It's often not very productive, right? And 
I remember growing up, I, I didn't even remember that this happened, but I remember my, my father saying the story of that's exactly what happened along our property, along the east side. And there was this row, and, and I remember dad took the tiller out, and he was, he was trying to just edge the edge of the lawn, you know. And, well, this, this corn row kind of came in close to the lawn. So he, he ran the tiller along the edge of the property and just cleaned it up. Now, with that cleanup, went part of that first row of corn because it was scraggly. It wasn't amounting to anything anyhow, so he just tilled it out. Well, come fall, the farmer came along, and he's, he's combining, and what back then was probably an eight-row head or a six-row head, whatever it was, suddenly it didn't come out right. Like, where's the other row? There was a row that disappeared here. And so he came in and... Uh, and I'm not sure how upset he was, but I just remember he, he told my dad, my, my father finally said, well, what, what do I owe you for that, that row of corn? And the property's literally 300 feet long, so it wasn't very much, one row of cobby corn. And so he, made, he named a price of what he had lost for that row of corn. And as I remember right, my father wrote him a check and paid for that. You know, my dad could have taught me a lot of things. He could have tried to teach that lesson in various ways. But he taught it by living it out. And sometimes those opportunities are so fleeting and we have such a short amount of time to grab those opportunities and teach on them. And we miss it. Can you read Proverbs chapter 19, 18? Jason, Jason, thy son, while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Jason, while there is yet hope. If I would say it in my words, I would say teach while there's still time. Teach while the opportunity is there. And so often we're, we're just living life and we have this short little window where an opportunity like that presents itself. And if you're like me, I just, so frustrating. No farmer, I'm not going to pay you for that. It was $50, let's say, whatever it was. And I'm not going to do that. And I miss an opportunity to teach. Character influence. Your children want to be people of honesty and integrity. I trust that our children, are they're, they're trying to figure out life. They're trying to figure out who should we be. How should we live life? What, what does that look like? And as fathers, it's our job. We stand in that place. We are the ones who should be teaching honesty and integrity to our children. Taking the opportunity to exemplify that to them. That there's no question in their mind that dad is a man of honesty and integrity. He's a man who says and lives what he believes. He lives it out. And they should know that. Being a person of honesty and integrity. The second thing is teach your children, teach them to receive correction. And I don't know, maybe this is, maybe this is something that um, some children... It comes more natural for them. But I think as fathers, we should be diligent in teaching our children how to receive correction. 
and to receive it in a positive way. But see, a lot of, of how they receive it is how we give it. And I've had different employees that have worked for me that, that I've had to correct in some way. And it may be minor things like just, it wasn't that, it's nothing, it's not that they were being dishonest or nothing right or wrong. I'm just calling them to a higher standard of doing their job. And so I'm, I'm trying to teach them, be aware when you're mowing, look for whatever this may be. But as I approach those people to, to make those corrections, I sense this, like, somehow they get locked up. Like I'm giving them a tongue lashing, and I'm not. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to, to give them instructions how to do their job. But in my mind, as I observe that, I have to say, that didn't just start hopefully not, with me as an employer, because I never jump all over their case for something. There's something in their history that they experienced when they received instruction that was not positive. And so now it, it's hard for that person to even, even to, to receive basic instruction on how to do their job, because somewhere something happened. I challenge you, fathers, be careful how you instruct your, your children. Do it in a way that makes it easy for them to receive that. And sometimes you have to explain to them how to receive it, that they should be open to it and ask questions and, and do some dialoguing and, and be okay with that. Learning to receive instruction is so important as we learn. Okay, the third one, and this is a tough one, so man, I'm going to need all of you to help. I, I kind of broke it down so it's easy for us. And so men, if you would just repeat after me, we will get through this. So the first word is I. I. Everybody, ready? I. Second word, was. Wrong. So let's say it together. I was wrong. I hope your children aren't turning around to see if you said that. I hope they hear that from you often. Because as fathers, and I believe this comes straight from the pit of Satan, but for some reason there's something in us that says, I have to be up here. If I'm going to teach my children, I have to live this perfect life. I can never make any mistakes. And that's not possible. We all make mistakes. We all have times where we fail. We all have... There are always things that we do, and our children will be aware of it. Your children want to hear that you make mistakes also. They hear it from us as fathers when we correct them. And they want to hear that we make mistakes. Let's read 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, there's, there's something important in this verse. It's talking about sins and how we relate to God the Father, right? And he's saying, you know what? If, if you say you've never sinned, the truth isn't in you. You see, the same way our children, when they look up to us as fathers, and when dad is never willing to say, I was wrong, when dad is, is always right, kind of smooths it over a little bit, and yeah, I shouldn't have done that, you know, and we, we go on with life. When dad is, is one that never made any mistakes, I'm teaching my children that exact thing. So dad never made any mistakes, and as that child grows up, guess what? They say, well, you know what? I probably ne never made any mistakes either. My dad never did, and, and he taught me that he never made any mistakes. So I probably did, I've probably done pretty well myself. In fact, I'm actually a pretty good person. Look, look at all the things I haven't done. And they begin to have an attitude of, I'm pretty good shape. But he who says, if, if we can't acknowledge that we have sin, if we can't acknowledge that we were born with a sin nature, it's hard to, for our children to see that they also have a sin nature. And we're an example of that to them when we can admit that I was wrong. I made a mistake. I messed up. I didn't do it right. You see, all fathers make mistakes but real fathers admit it. All fathers make mistakes, but real fathers admit it. And they live up to it. And they make it right. The fourth thing, your children want to know how to lead and follow. I challenge you as fathers, as your children get up to um, an age where they can understand this, and it may be different for different children. As a son, as, as children, we, we, in, we enjoy being, or I, as I remember it, we enjoy being, um, I enjoy being a man, you know, even though I'm very young, and five and six. I, I want to do things that my father did. I want, I want to be I want to be a big guy. I want to be a, just like dad. I want to be just like mom. I, I want to, that person in church. We look up to people and we want to be like that. And as fathers, I think it's important that we, that we call them up to that in a good way. And I think as fathers, we should take our sons aside and say, you are meant to be a leader. You are meant to lead. You are, it is it is right that people follow you. And so it's important that you lead those people in a good way. And I think this should start at first grade is an excellent time to begin it. Because they are in school. And there's always a leader in every class. And it starts, in first, it starts before first grade. But as you see children playing together, there is always a leader. And Father, call your children out to be that leader as young men. Call those boys out to lead their class. Give them direction what a leader does. A, a leader 
a leader looks out for those under him. A leader cares for the other children. He's kind. Okay? He, he, he gives to them. He, he lets them have the, 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 the benefit of the doubt when they're playing a game. He, he, as he makes teams, he maybe puts the person who struggles on his team. Call them out to be that leader at young age and continue to call them out as they get older and older and put that responsibility on him. It is a biblical responsibility that our sons are leaders. There's a lack of leadership in our nation. There's a lack of leadership in businesses. There's a lack of leadership in churches. There's a lack of leadership in homes, youth groups, wherever you look. And it's not without design. Satan is purposefully destroying leadership. Fathers, we need to call our sons out and call them to be leaders. Call your daughters out to know how to follow well. Call them out and give them, give them instruction. Tell them how to, how to follow well, how to come alongside in the, on the youth committee and give good ideas and do their part without running over the leadership. Call your daughters out to know how to do that in school. Call them out. They want to know what to do. Your children want to know how to lead follow. And you as fathers have the key to give that to them. The third thing. First one was spiritual influence. Second one, character influence and then relationship influence. How do you affect relationships in your child's life? You know, when we go up to club to uh, prayer walk, there's a restaurant that we pass that has fond memories for me. And as, and some of you may chuckle, and actually I don't even, I don't think I've been back to this restaurant since. But as you go underneath the viaduct, there's a Long John Silver's there. And I'm not a big fan of Long John Silver's, and growing up, our family didn't eat at Long, I don't, I don't know, if I, I rarely remember eating at Long John Silver's. But there was a time in my life where a young girl had caught my eye, and I made that known to my father. And he said, well, he said, you know, let's talk about this a little more. And we had, we had some business to do up towards Elkhart, and so the agreement was we were going to go for a go for supper, and we're going to talk about this. He had some questions he wanted to ask me. And we ate at Long John Silver's. And, and so that, and I didn't marry that girl, just in case you're wondering. Um, but we did eat there, and my, my father had questions for me, and he wanted to know, you know, what, what am I thinking? I was pretty young. He was wanting to know, you know, what my, what my goals are, what, what my intentions are, and what timeline, what I'm thinking. And, uh, and so we just, we had a good talk at Long John Silver's. And I also remember through that time, there were other questions that he asked me. He asked me how I'm doing morally. And he called me out on some things. And he said, you know what? You don't really have business dating her unless you get some other areas cleaned up here. And for me, in some of those areas, 
That's what made the difference. My dad didn't weekly check in with me to see how it's going. But to God's glory, I will say, being held to accountability, being held to, to that level made a difference in my life in some of those areas. Because my father said, you, don't have, you have no business having interest in a girl when, if, if you're struggling with that. And it made a difference for me. How do we affect the relationships that our children have? One of the things your children want to know Okay, I have a problem here. Okay, one of the things that your children really relationship influence. Your children want to know if you love your wife. That is, whether they say it or not, it is a question in each child's mind wondering, does dad love mom? And they're constantly trying to figure that out. It's maybe an unspoken question, but they're trying to figure out, do you love your wife? You see, how can, as a child, how can I trust dad if he can't, if mom can't trust him? If he doesn't love mom, how can I trust dad? So there's that question going on in a child's mind. Answer that for them. Make it clear. Ephesians 5.28, love your wife like you love yourself. We read that scripture this morning. Love and care for her like you love yourself. The second one is, your boys and young men want to know how to respect and show courtesy towards ladies. I'll just say, fathers, take time to teach your sons as they're growing up. Before they're even to the age of, of having interest in ladies, teach them how to respect ladies in your home. Teach them how to respect their sisters. What is okay? What is not okay? How to be a gentleman? You see, when young men grow up and they respect mom and they respect their sisters, they're going to respect youth ladies and they're going to respect the ladies who are important in their lives eventually. But that starts at home. And so take time to to teach your sons that, yes, they are a weaker vessel. They, they maybe are not, they're not called to do the same thing that we as men are. But let's be a gentleman to them. It's okay to hold open the door for your sisters. Because it's okay for a young man to hold open the door for the youth girls. It's okay for our youth men to, to serve them and to care for them to protect them because we're the men we are the leaders it's it's proper for us to do that it's proper for us to teach our young boys to protect themselves morally because they had this responsibility and to be careful how they live their lives because there's a responsibility of, of us as men that we need to protect ladies who we, who we relate to, even outside of marriage, to, 
to serve them well. <clears throat> Third one is teach your young girls and young ladies. Young girls and young ladies want to know how to respect their leaders. They may not ask it, but your, your daughters want to know how to respect their leaders. Teach them how to do that. Teach them how to do that by respecting their leaders, first of all, and calling them to respect their leaders at school or at church or wherever it may be. Show them how it's done. Teach them how to respect them, how to show honor to them. Your children want to know how to act around others. You know, as our children grow up, they're wondering, well, what, what is okay to do? What, how should I act? And, and they, they probably don't ask those questions, but they're, they, they constantly do things, and then they wonder, okay, they want your feedback as parents because they're trying to figure out what's okay. That's part of growing up. And as fathers, I think we should take the, the initial role in this and just teaching sim- simple things like manners, um, allowing the ladies to go first. First graders, our young boys shouldn't be roaring ahead of the ladies, but we start to teach them at that age what it means to be respectful to the ladies, what it means to be uh, respectful at the table, how to just eat mannerly. And uh, sometimes I think we, we think, well, as they get older, we'll teach them to do that. If they can feed themselves, they can learn to eat respectfully and respect those around them. Not everybody has to know what's, what's going in. And, and I'll just make a brief comment here, but this is just children and how they are, but I think it's important that they learn what to do with all of their bodily functions and the sounds that are emitted at inappropriate times. And as, as fathers, we need to teach them that. But if dad does it, they're going to do it. And so I'm just pleading with you fathers. Teach them common courtesies, common etiquette. And no, it's not because we're trying to be fancy. It's because we respect other people around us. It's because I respect the people that are at the table with me, the people that are in my presence. And because of that, I choose to be to just conduct myself in a respectful way. Teach them how to honor others. Teach them how to act around others. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Start young. Teach hard. And let it stick. Do your children... Do they trust you enough to respect and learn from your instruction? Are you the type of person they're going to want to go to because they know dad lives this out and I'm wondering, how does he do it? Like I said about my business when I started, I wanted to ask somebody who had done it, who was doing it. Is that how your children see you? Do they see you as a person that I can trust dad and Dad does this. I wonder how he does this. And will they come to you because they see you be an example of it? Maybe we wonder, well, can we, do, do they trust us? Gary Ezzo says, the quantity and quality of trust children have in us 
as fathers is the only legitimate benchmark of our relationship with them. And so we often talk about, well, we need to have, you need to have a relationship with your children. You need, to have, you need to have a relationship with them so they feel free to come talk to you. The quantity and quality of trust children have in us as fathers is the only legitimate benchmark of our relationship with them. Do your children trust you? Are you the one that they want to come to ask the questions? And if not, why not? You know, as I think back to my life and, and some of the teachable moments that I experienced, you know, it often wasn't big and grand things. But there were small things that impacted me. You see, I learned that I was important to my father. When he came out after his Sunday nap, probably groggy, to hit high flies for 15 minutes. 20 minutes. And I remember when I had friends over, I, I said, man, you should see my dad hit high flies. I mean, he can, he, one-handed, he can whack them out there. And I thought he was quite the ball player. You know, as I grew older, I learned that I don't think my dad really enjoyed playing softball. He had a lot of other good things he was, he was good at, but I don't think his passion was softball. But he took time to play with me. You see, I learned that my father enjoyed my company when he invited me to go to work with him on a Saturday. That didn't happen very often because where he worked, he, I couldn't go to work with him. He worked at, a, at, Monic, at Holiday Rambler in Monaco Trailer Factory for quite a few years. I couldn't go with him. But on a Saturday when nobody else was there, a couple times I got to go along and I thought that was so neat. Oh, this is the break room. This is where dad eats lunch. This is where the men... This is where they work. This is, this is dad's toolbox. Wow, I had never seen these tools. You know, I was like, dad, bring that toolbox home. I could use these. And just, you know, just, he showed interest. He showed that he wanted to be with me by taking me to work. Small things like that. You see, when we went fishing and I caught a smallmouth bass on Syracuse Lake that was three pounds and 12 ounces, my dad was pretty proud of me. And he really wanted to mount that for me. But I remember we talked about it. It cost $120. And we weren't sure that we wanted to spend that much money. And so for a long time, that fish was in the freezer. And we'd get it out, and I'd look at it and think, man, that would look cool on the wall. And it got left out once or twice on top of the freezer. And it stank. After a long time, eventually, that, that fish got mounted. What did that teach me? It taught me that money doesn't just grow on trees. But sometimes, sometimes we have to work for things. You see, I knew that it meant a lot to me when my dad took time I would dream up these tree stands. I would look through the Cabela's catalog and look at these neat tree stands that I wanted. And they were so nice and light and I had these clunky heavy ones. And so I would make up a wood replica of what I wanted my tree stand to look like. 
And then my father would take the replica to work. And on his lunch break or after hours, he would get scrap aluminum, which was 43 cents a pound, whatever it was. It was pretty cheap. As long as it came out of the dumpster, he could call it scrap aluminum. And he would weld up my tree stand. And when he came home, then I would put it together and I would weigh it. And it weighed 11 pounds and a half ounces. Then I'd look in the Cabela's book. I beat him by one pound, you know. And so I had these aluminum tree stands that not everybody did. But he took the time to make those for me. I knew he had time for me. You know, my dad and I don't necessarily share this, all the same hobbies. I enjoy hunting. My father has always showed interest in my hunting. He's never went hunting with, not deer hunting with me. We've done some rabbit hunting. But we've rare, we've, we've, some of those things that I am passionate about and enjoy are not his passions. He doesn't enjoy them. But when I started deer hunting, he asked a guy that works with him who was a, a good hunter, I thought, I thought he was top notch. He asked him to come home and show me where to put my tree stand. That guy went out to the woods with us. He looked around at where I was hunting and he said, right here, you need to put your tree stand right here. They're, oh, they're going to come right through here. You need to be sitting up there when they come. He never went hunting with me, but I knew that he cared. You see, sometimes, and that's not me, I, I, I'm such a perfectionist. I want to do it so right. I want to teach my children so well. I want to do it so good that I miss those little opportunities. And, there's, and I fear I've missed so many. I don't want to do that. And I fear that when those little opportunities have come up, five minutes here, ten minutes there, I say, well, it's, I don't have a whole evening to spend. I'm not going to do it. And I miss those opportunities. But, fathers, those are the ones that count. Those are the ones I remember. You look back over your life. You look at how you were influenced. You look at what made a difference. Five minutes here, ten minutes there. A little word here. They make a difference. Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for being our Father. Lord, thank you for being the perfect example. Thank you for, for loving us. Lord, thank you for being our Father that we can depend on. Lord, help us as fathers to, to care for our children well. Help us to teach them well, to take the small opportunities to, to reach out and to make a difference in their lives. Lord, help us as men to be leaders and help us to embrace that call that you've given to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.